is this Jet's Toy Hut? I like the selection of Star Wars toys you've got, but I've ordered from online sellers before, and it must have been packed by Ugnaughts because everything came shattered into tiny fragments. The Great Exalted Toy Hut wishes to inform you that your orders will be shipped out hand packed. Hand packed by Ugnaughts? Oh my, Toy Hut never just tosses a collectible into a shipping box. All orders are packed secure using packing peanuts, bubble wrap, air pillows, or packaging paper. Better even than being frozen in carbonite. What if I order something shaped like, say, a TIE Fighter? Toy Hut has the best zero-movement packing and shipping online, and they have seven sizes of custom toilet boxes and never pack a collectible loose. Furthermore, the mighty Toy Hut wishes to warn you that no galaxy is too far, far away for their smugglers to get to. I heard I can get a free vinyl sticker if I order something over 25 Republic credits. What if I order something for 23? Can I still have the sticker? The magnanimous Toy Hut warns you not to push your luck. <laughs> ToyHut.com All too easy. Piss Christ was okay, but I really like his boys in their hoods. I'm Joe Fulgham. If you thought Russian roulette was dangerous, try doing it in space. I'm Chris Woods. If you have a craving for virgin boy eggs, you're in trouble. I'm Torin Atkinson. Soylent Pink is what? Maybe we should go back to the green. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. medium density whale board awesome <laughs> yeah they make it by you the you get whales on the shore you blow it up then it comes down in the shape of a table this is the whale uh table episode evidently we just call them wables in the industry wables oh right. they do fall down back in the 80s <laughs> wables wobble, wables and, then wobble they fall down. and then they crush your leg uh yeah back in the 80s uh porsches they had uh, whale tables on the back end right <laughs> exactly that's right that's the back end of the whale that normally you can't use anywhere else mm-hmm. but they call them porpoises that's where mm-hmm. the rich guy bangs his model girlfriend yeah on the whale table whales are on the whale table oh that's where the name came from call porsche there she blows you. that was their uh, tagline. <laughs> so this is uh, follow-ups X. Oh, for like, Roman ooh. numeral style. Yeah. Like Malcolm X. Yeah. Not or, not not the unknown expression X. Uh, Jason. X. X. Oh. Nobody's gonna have to solve for X. X equals ten. That's true. No, I get it. Hang on. I gotta no get algebra. No that. algebra. No. It's very simple algebra. X mm. equals ten. <laughs> That's algebra. It's all just solutions. It's, there's no. Yeah. Uh, there's no. Uh, Find X thing to go and through. you just point at the ten. It's right there. Our guest is Chris Woods from previous episodes, known as Art and Submarines. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. 
Well, what'd you like to talk about first? Well, since it's my field, yes, yes, so I've been told we uh-huh. have a few follow-ups in the visual arts. Okay. Oh, okay. So follow-up to the art episode. Got it. Yeah. So the first one we have, I, I believe, is was submitted by a, a listener. Um, we're looking at uh, an article. It says the brilliance of Sweden's shocking gollywog cake. What's a gollywog? Gollywog is uh, what you would call a racist stereotype black piccaninny a sort of um a blackface kind of caricature yeah of, you're uh, sort of uh, prototypical south of the mason dixon line uh, you'll have a gollywog doll a little stuffed toy so that uh it's like that tintin book that all the characters in that tintin book that's now not been reprinted in quite some time the totally racist <laughs> tintin exactly france tintin <laughs> colonialism nah we don't know much about that uh-huh. so in any case article states uh when artist macaud linde dressed up as a pastry depicting a caricatured african woman he was doing more than just a bar- embarrassing sweden's cultural minister mm. so what this fellow did was basically entrapped uh, members of the swedish parliament by supposedly having an event that addressed genital mutilation in Africa, which I guess is... Female genital mutilation. Uh, correct. Which uh. I guess is a cause celeb in Sweden. It's yeah, they're crazy the about... the epicenter of African genital <laughs> mutilation. Oh, uh, like crazy about it in that they're behind it? No, they... Those Swedes? As all uppity white folks are, are prone to do uh, to take on causes of what they perceive as the less fortunate which they're not incorrect of course in this case yeah Yeah, the article says that sweden cares a lot about female genital mutilation a traditional practice in parts of africa of forcibly mutilating a pubescent girl's genitals swedish ngos lead national campaigns against fgm as we'll call it Mm -hmm. Uh, the health ministry commissions formal studies on it the swedish legislator officially banned the practice in 1982 in the 30 years since the law was passed only two cases have been brought. To, uh, certainly, if anybody has ever read an article ever written about this particular topic, if it doesn't make your skin crawl, you're probably associated. Yeah, I do joke about it, but it is obviously very serious. But this uh, Makode Linde felt he had to make a bit of a, a kerfuffle. So uh, I'll continue uh, reading. It says, there are two layers to the story. The first is the story of what Minister Adelson Ligeroth and those other ministry officials thought they were walking into. The second is the story of what they were actually walking into. Adelson Lajeroth believed she was participating in an art installation meant to draw attention to the plight of female genital mutilation in Africa. I just want to remind you right now, if you uh, have any Swedish quotes, you have to do it in a Swedish accent. (laughs) And everybody knows that the Swedish accent is Orski, Borski, Borski, Orski. Exactly. (laughs) Bork, bork, bork. And ironically... Finish all your sentences with that. Yeah. And since I'm a human, I have weird puppet hands that do all the gesturing. (laughs) To continue, this is why participants were told to cut slices from the cake's bottom. Now, if you look at the graphics, we have a cake that is made to be a very unfortunate caricature of an African person. And so you have the artist has his head stuck through a table and he's in blackface with a, a fuzzy wig and a... You know, the prototypical white eyes and the big lips with the teeth, and then you've got the neck rings. Here's here's my question. Um, this guy, who's probably a performance artist in some way, shape, or form, who uh, feels very strongly about this issue, and he's trying to uh, use this event to embarrass the Swedish minister responsible for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But Sweden, the government, seems to have actually taken quite a strong stand against it. So yeah. 
what is the point in embarrassing <laughs> the people who actually feel the same way that you do? What the culture minister and her coterie did not realize was that they were all unwilling participants in Linde's culinary art installation and that the cake as art was more about race than it was about female genital mutilation. Their participation, their awkward laughter at seeing the caricatured racial features of the cake even the photos of Adelson Ligeroth slicing away were all the point. There's a long-running debate among Western activists and anthropologists who work in Africa about their role in curbing FGM, uh, which is both violently sexist and culturally traditional. Mm-hmm. Some say that it is not Westerners' place to dictate morality to African societies that see this as a rite of passage. Others argue that FGM is so harmful and sexist that it merits intervention. Swedish society campaigns for the latter, but their campaign uh, their campaign looks a little strange because it's an issue they're not actually in a position to do much about. Mm-hmm. Right, because they're not they were never a colonial power in Africa. They don't really have overseas yeah. forces. They're certainly not going to you know do military intervention. They're probably not enough of a trade power to actually you know levy sanctions against countries that would mean anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, also apparently, the population of African peoples in Sweden is very low, like below one percent. So, oh, but those one percent are so unmutilated. <laughs> They have all those straight razor stores. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a double whammy, too, this, um, if you see the image of the cake. It's kind of a large stomach and large breasts with tiny sort of stick-like arms over the top. It's also actually a reference to a famous German uh, piece of prehistoric art called the Venus of Willendorf. Right. So he's kind of double whammying the history of art as much as he is whammying the politicians i think it is essentially hey you crazy politicians look what i just made you do i made you participate uh, with this very offensive uh, racial stereotype yeah i mean the the white-faced swedes in the room are participating in perpetuating a condescending image of the same africans there purporting to help so it's sort of a metaphor for the larger swedish anti-fgm campaign which uh, the artist and other skeptics might see as doing more to reinforce outdated and patronizing views mm-hmm. of Africans than it actually doing any help yeah. or any good. Right. And this certainly solved all of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's turned Swedish society around on I this believe, I, although I'm not sure, I believe he is an African gentleman. Yes, he is. Yeah, so yeah. he has a little less to answer for than perhaps if a Swedish gentleman were to do the same thing, so... I don't know. That guy kind of sounds like an asshole. There is a video, and it is not very much fun. It's not gross. It's just, it's just icky. Well, because he screams well, we, and yeah, makes, we can put a link a to the YouTube on CosmicSodaPodcast.com. And he's like, ah, yeah, ah, while the lady is cutting, cutting a, a piece of cake from the genital area, cake. Yeah, it it's is. <laughs> and everybody's laughing nervously, right? Like they're all ah. tittering. Yeah, I thought it. You know, the one thing that really bothered me is the neck rings. For some reason, that really seemed to push it over into, right? Into kind of he did his research on this. Like he really, <laughs> he he stereotyped the stereotype out of this out of this endeavor. So it's uh, as an artist yourself, like, what's your take on it? Let's you're just your, jealous because you're yeah, you didn't think of it first. <laughs> we can dress you up as a as a baby. I don't know uh, an Eskimo cake. Ah, <laughs> hey, an Eskimo pie, if you will. <laughs> there you go. They the one thing that bothers me about about the gollywogish and that sort of thing is the propensity to choose the blackest black of night to depict it. Like all gollywog dolls you see are like black yeah. felt, as well as this cake is mm-hmm. black icing. 
Mm-hmm. And it's that that notion of, well, it's a black guy. We'll just use shoe polish because that's black. Right. It's you're even ignorant in your there's in no your sh- ignorance no in that brown well, and racism. Well, at least get out your swatches. You know, this, this yeah. is not like shoe Mocha polish. Sunset or something. You know, like they're African Americans are not by nature all like a black velvet painting. So even this gentleman who did this, who is an African himself, wore blackface to yes. affect yeah. this. Yeah. Well, even the uh, uh, um, hang on a second, Spike Lee's film. Uh, which addresses the issue has the black characters putting on blackface. They burn. And what was that? Boon- cork boondoggled. Even for the minstrels who were black that had to perform in blackface, the white audience they wanted them to as black as possible because right. that sort of fit in with their own. Uh, well, it probably make, of, yeah, and it probably makes you feel more comfortable than trying to actually look like an actual black person <laughs> and dancing around. Yeah, I suppose if you're stage. a racist a hole, last thing you're going to do is quibble about this skin is tone, the, your Pantone colors. I guess you know. <laughs> I just learned something. The more you know, <laughs> racist, not necessarily detail oriented. <laughs> Well, that leads me into um, the next item, which is artist um, Andre Serrano, who's best known for his uh, uh, Piss Christ right. Uh, oh, right. photography, okay. which was caused quite a ruffle amongst the NEA in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He actually, the NEA? The National Endowment for the Arts uh, Ooh, in the United well States endowed. government. <laughs> I have heard that <laughs> Briefly about Briefly headed by John Holmes in the 80s. <laughs> I had heard that about Christ, that he, you know, under certain circumstances, could be well endowed. <laughs> he was certainly well hung. Whoa! Back it up! That was very punny. <laughs> when I get upset, you're crossing over into my bailiwick. You have been made obsolete. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Serrano, who has sort of been pigeonholed as the, the Piss Christ guy. Hey, you're that Piss Christ guy. That's right. That's Isn't he pissing holed? Hasn't on a t-shirt. Hasn't he been pissing holed? Pissing holed? Uh. That sounds a lot like pigeonholed. Did you realize that, Mike? Kevin? Dave? <laughs> Philip? Jimmy? Anyway, Mr. Serrano is very is a very accomplished and very incredible artist and photographer. He's not just all about piss Christ. He's all about everything. If it comes out of him, he's using it. Oh, But nice. he did a series in the uh, late 80s, early 90s that were portraits of Klansmen. Oh, like real Klansman? Real, genuine okay. Klansman. He is also of Afro-Cuban descent, which I find is very interesting. I find it encouraging, rather, that I learned that through my research rather than through Jesse Helms in the 80s during the Piss Christ um, fuss-a-muss with the National Endowment for the Arts, because I presume that Jesse Helms, being the type of fellow that he was, may... I think he earns a pat on the back, now that he's dead, for not... Making a fuss about his about Mr. Serrano's racial background, and even though I just brought it up, so <laughs> that kind of makes me a jerk. They attacked him on his work rather than doing ad hominem attacks okay. on him. But uh, he did a very fascinating series of portraits of Klansmen in their hoods and their full regalia, uh-huh. which I thought was really amazing and very sensitive of so him. So just like portraiture? Just straight, unironic. Is this photographs or paintings or They're, he's primarily a photographer okay. by trade so he it, so what did, <clears throat> do you think he set it up like uh, like they did at Sears in the 70s with the you know that kind of modeled background and the kid on the chair in front and everybody that, stood around we with their could hoods hope on. that he, that he would have done that but I don't believe so I believe they're uh, they could get it in, in like 17 different sizes and oh yeah size and, and then there's a little baby Klansman you know holding up a little uh, Hitler salute 
Um, no, they're very, very beautiful, plain, sensitive images of of Klansmen on a block, you know, in front of a black backdrop. So, how did he get these photos? Did he like go to a meeting or? He just he just asked him. All he right. ran just... out to the middle of the street and uh, and went and went. <laughs> I'm Afro Cuban. Come get me! And well, then they chased him. He built a gallows and just waited for them to show up. <laughs> No, yeah. it's like Batman. He lit the clan symbol, which is a big <laughs> flaming cross on a spotlight shot up into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> to the pointy Atmobile. As an artist, part of his work is just going into areas where people don't usually, you know, certainly, especially a, a man of color would not normally say, hey, can I take all of your photos? But he enjoys the challenge of being in that situation and treating them with as much compassion as he I, uh, can, and you know, just sort of being straight with them about it. I, I I like the guy with the green hood. I I have no idea why he's different. Is this like, you Is know, that just in, the lighting, or does he actually have a green outfit? No, it's like in judo where you get the white belt and then the green <laughs> belt, right? Oh, that's right. If you're not racist enough, yeah. you have some color on your garments. Yes. Now, what do they and use as, as the highest ranking belt? Because they don't have a black belt. Yeah, the they, have the white they definitely belt. do not. I think maybe these guys are just like the eco-friendly. Uh, oh, I, I, I kind of when I first <laughs> caught glimpse of it, I kind of gave me a Cthulhu vibe. Actually, <laughs> the clan's trying to trying to reach out to the younger generation, you know. So they're you know, they're a little bit more about the eco. Let's right. get the greenies, the it's, hippies in on the we deal. We might be right wing, racist, conservative, right. but Christians. we do have a green movement. But, but we do we plant trees. We understand that the world is getting warmer, and it's our fault. That's right. Oh. And if we cut all From the all trees the down. Crosses? Who are we going to hang all we'll those no people from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good heavens. They're trying to make their cross-burning carbon neutral. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. So they bicycle to the rallies now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they got to make up for all the smoke that they belch into yeah, the air. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right? That's right. Then they, they, use, uh, they use artisanal hemp rope mm. crafted by, uh, oh, yeah. by traditional artisans. Ironically, uh, in the Philippines. <laughs> They make the subjects dig their own graves with well, a, with a shovel they had rather to than using it, a, you know uh, yes of course the clan's not fat with cash <laughs> not like the old, not like the good old days um but mr serrano is also uh, uh, to further his interest in going into uh, mysterious places he has also done a series of amazing photos uh, again these are all in the early 90s where he visited um the uh, several morgues in the city of New York to take photographs, and I guess it's of, kind of a hard take photographs of the of, people who work there, right? Of the, no, of the deceased residents. Oh, but again, very, very sensitive and very. So it's kind of the opposite of like the crime photography from the '30s, where they would like get yeah. put photos on the front page of like gangsters gunned down in the middle of the street. Yeah. So this is kind of the aftermath sort of thing after they've been all cleaned up and. Sort of like there's there's some of them. There's one called the morgue. Jane Doe killed by police. So it's a, a woman who has been very severely burned about the face. And Let me see that. There's one a, a very amazing a photograph of a young girl who had passed away from meningitis, which is very evocative and very sensitive and very amazing for what somebody you know somebody who is sort of considered as a you know a provocateur, right? Which, a shock which artist. I find is yeah, but this work you is what shocking him, in its subject. But it's, you know what would have gotten him a lot. But it's press. beautiful. Yes, you know, it you is. Know, you know what would have got him a lot more press? If he'd put that girl in piss. It's true. Would have gotten Who's to a say lot more press. Yeah. And there's a very... Be- well, one it's of all his- about ink, people. Well, funny you should say that because one of his photographs, sort of the most poignant... Was of ink? Yes. It's one of the victims, um, I believe, 
may have been uh, fingerprinted post-mortem oh. in the manner oh. that you fingerprint a body yep. for identification. Yep. So it's just a hand with... Um, the ink marks on the fingers. With the ink on the fingers and then, you know, like a cut on the wrist. I'm not exactly sure how the subject passed. Oh, that's actually... It's a, oh, actually, the, the title of the piece is Andre Serrano, The Morgue, Knifed to Death. Too. Oh, there you go. Oh. But that belies the the very the Christ-like sort of nature of the image and the right. Um, there's you don't see there's no indication that the person was knifed to death. Well, there's yeah. a small cut on the wrist, I believe, might serve probably, as a defensive wound. Probably a defensive wound. Yeah, it's hitting all the notes of what you'd expect from a really dedicated and interesting and thoughtful photographer. You know, the right. the opposite of. Sort guy. of, yeah, exactly. And right. I mean, yeah, but as he usual, just takes a million photographs and then chooses the ones that are the most arty. <laughs> we all know that, right? But at least his He's choice trying. of the most arty. <laughs> this is this is not a violent acres guy with you know pics of dead jailbait from Reddit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have been hearing oh, about that whole yeah. thing that's going. I have on. not. Fill us in. There's a basically master troll on Reddit who goes around. You can create any kind of subreddit. Is that a I've name or a title? It. Master troll. A uh, title. Okay. Mm. He probably wears the green hood. His his name online was it's Violent like... Acres with a Z on the end. Oh, he uh, doesn't care what people think. He would make like the most repulsive, disgusting, offensive subreddits and fill them full of all sorts of horrible content. Like pics of dead jailbait. He started off one called wow. Jailbait, which was basically semi sexualized dead jailbait. Well, well, jailbait means girls that it is illegal for adults to sleep with right. or, or look like they are. And pics of dead jailbait means pictures of girls of that age who are dead. Mm. Like when you say dead, you mean just they've just deceased. deceased or they're pictures of from the morgue or something? Uh, pictures. I I have not seen just any of them. fished around I the internet, really I presume, heard of, to find. of the stories like, of this, is it, but apparently they... Like, is it like a, here's their graduation photo or something? No, this person them, is dead, they or are dead they're lying in the, in the street? They are yes. lying in the street, right, okay. or on the slab, or whatever. It's completely reprehensible. It is wow. not... This picture here, I agree with Chris. This mm-hmm. is a, a touching little thing that reminds you that we are separated from death very often in mm-hmm. our lives, that, that we keep things that are uncomfortable away from us. And part of, I think, that weakens us, not understanding death very well because we compartmentalize it. Yeah, it, it's Whereas a very Violent sensitive... Acres is a fucking creep. A dickhead. And an asshole. Yeah, in, in the, if we do an in-the-news part of this story, it's that he's most recently been outed. Yeah. His real identity was, uh, in fact, discovered by a journalist who wrote mm. an article about him. Oh, and then what happened? Uh, he got fired from his job. And, <laughs> oh. Did he uh, work for Reddit? Uh, no, no. No, he uh, he worked as a, just a, like a, a, a tech guy, like as a, you know, uh, an IT guy <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an insurance those office guys. or something. And uh, yeah, he got fired from his job, and uh, so consequences on the internet. Becoming Who would a have thought? And there's like there's this big discussion going on about you know uh, um, shouldn't people have shoot the him right or stab him? Post things anonymously. <laughs> Call Andre Serrano cause, because he's just about to have a new subject in his uh, classy morgue series. Yeah, Our yeah. Friend. The defense people of... were happy who are in the morgue. <laughs> that whole freedom of Hitler. speech, pr- <laughs> right to privacy for this. Fucking asshole mm-hmm. who is posting pictures of dead underage girls yeah. without without their, without their or their family's permissions. Right. Fuck that guy. Fuck his rights. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but there's definitely a line, and that guy's jumped way, way the fuck over it. Well, and you know what? If you stand behind your material, you should be willing to like. Then you shouldn't be afraid of being identified. Personally. Yes, exactly. Like real journalists credit their work. They say, right. 
I wrote this. This is my name. This is the picture I took. This is the reason I did it. Real artists credit themselves. This guy <laughs> did the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. Right. This guy went out of yeah. his way to not take credit he for anything. Yeah. That's why I call him a troll because he's under the bridge, man. That's right. It's true. Is that he, why we call people trolls? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's under the Are bridge you, with Prince. Your hip daddy o to the troll talk. <laughs> Shut up, square. <laughs> He certainly hid behind the the supposed uh, anonymity of the internet mm-hmm. and took full advantage of that. Full advantage. Yeah, I, I, don't I have feel no sorry sympathy for, him. for no. this guy whatsoever. No. And and it's nice to see that mm-hmm. we can get yeah, that it actual can be photos that's of this ex- kind of thing that are not, not exploitative, exploitative. Yeah. and actually raise questions and make us ponder and things like that without becoming overly mm-hmm. gratuitous. Well, I really like the uh, the the cut of those Ku Klux Klan pictures. So <laughs> now I'm gonna You're have gonna to get start, the series. I'm gonna have to start <laughs> thinking twice about what I feel how I feel about the Klan. I think that was the point of that series of pictures, <laughs> right, Chris? Put, put I, don't, a... I don't think that's entirely an incorrect way to, to look at it, certainly. They may be horrible racists, but they're snappy dressers. By coincidence, I'm just working on a series right now called Sandstorm, which is looks is a series of Star Wars-inspired paintings and that takes the point of view of Darth Vader. So I think that you have a point, oh, Kevin. The view from the... Yeah. Evil guy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What did things look like through Darth Vader's eyes? You know, I think there is definitely something to be learned by putting yourself in the shoes of, you know, the quote unquote, the enemy. And I right. think mm-hmm. I think Vader's good be- being fictional and we all sort of love him. Like, we don't really know anybody who's <laughs> well, he wasn't died a, at his He hands. wasn't a racist jerk. But who do yeah, we really... Yeah, but I mean, it's harder... Although he did... Lynch a bunch of people. He Listen, sure I played the Star Wars Galaxy, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's massively multiplayer role playing game, and every mm-hmm. single rebel character's backstory that a player made had yes. Darth Vader killing their parents. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. so I know a lot of people who have been affected by well, Darth Vader. But that's the thing; it's a lot easier to look at Darth Vader and pick apart his motivations than it is to look at a Paul Pot or a Stalin right. or a Hitler, where you're just like, it's so he, you know, he is so repulsive to humanity that it, there is a barrier against looking into the mechanics of how he became that way. You yeah. know, your your you human instinct is to, just to say, I'm glad he's dead. Let's move on. He right. was a monster. But, but who do we really like? Do we really like David Prowse or do we really like James Earl Jones? <laughs> who is you can it never that separate like? the two. It's, no, it's an amalgam. <laughs> oh, really? It's oh, yeah. James Earl Prowse? You can't or pull David one Earl or Jones? the other out, I think. <laughs> And leave us not forget Sebastian Shaw, the actor that played the unmasked Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. Oh yes, uh, he's part. He's going to be in in my Star Wars four way. Oh, <laughs> all right, Star Wars four way. Hayden Christensen, he can wait at the door. Um, he's going to have to pay his dues to get. So into- wait, your Star Wars four way is me, uh, you, David, David Prowse, Prowse, James, James Earl Jones, Jones and, and Sebastian, Sebastian Shaw. Shaw. Two of which are no longer with us. <laughs> well, that is that a, makes it all the more a, caustic. That is a freaky four-way. <laughs> well, that's a nice fallback. That's a nice yeah. callback to these photos. Invite over exactly. Andre Serrano to uh, commemorate oh, it. Oh, snap! Photographically. I'm in. Do you think Mr. Earl Jones would be interested in a little dalliance with yours I truly? I do. And, and two corpses. Of, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just, I can just picture my face nestled up against his goiter and his voice just... <laughs> echoing just vibrating through my ears oh delicious uh one of my uh co-writers for several of my comic adventures uh todd ireland sat next to david prouse on the shuttle bus at san diego comic-con like five years ago lovely and he actually <laughs> said to him he said i'm darth vader excellent <laughs> he introduced himself as darth vader quite funny nice i have a question about this series of paintings yes sir how does how does your 
fundraising thing working? Oh, yes. How's that? I've launched an Indiegogo fundraising campaign to fund the production of this series, Sandstorm. I am... Why is it called Sandstorm? Well, let's tell you why. <laughs> I'm ready. The show is is scheduled to show. The show is scheduled to show 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 mm-hmm. in the summer of 2013 at the Reach Gallery Museum in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Right. Several of the paintings are drawn on deleted scenes from the original Star Wars trilogy. And there's one of the most famous that you, you know, as a kid, you read about in Starlog magazine and you'd see one tiny little grainy still about the size of a postage stamp from Return of the Jedi after they've defeated Jabba the Hutt. The, yeah. Our heroes are walking back to their spaceships wherever they've parked them, you know, sort of on a side on street Tatooine. on Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And so they're fighting their way through a sandstorm. And so all this exposition they're trying to sort out, you know, to further the story is is obscured by... The fact that they had to shoot it in a real a sandstorm on a sound stage oh, okay. with huge DC nine you know engine fans blowing sand and so uh, if you see the deleted scene you'll basically you'll see that the the dialogue is unusable because of the incredible noise right so it's this hadn't George Lucas heard about this thing called dubbing I yeah. guess it was the eighties so we can <laughs> forgive him I'm pretty sure they still had dubbing in the eighties no I don't. No, oh, they, they just had talkies sure. like, you know, wasn't like Raiders of the Lost Ark was a silent film. Wasn't yeah. It? In any case, uh, it's based on that. But I also felt that the notion of a sandstorm was uh, an apt metaphor for what Darth Vader had gone through, through his own evil and ignorance, like his own hatred and his own evil had stripped him as if he were naked in a sandstorm, had stripped him of his humanity so- and left him sort of withered when you say that you've drawn you've you're putting these drawings on a deleted scene like you mean like cast members you got ex-cast members coming in and you're no painting I, them my budget certainly doesn't uh allow that i think mark unless Hamill's, you donate at i think I, I think mark hamill's available i've twittered him on the twitter net there but i've taken screen captures uh from the blu-ray box set which contains all the deleted scenes for the for the original trilogy. And so I'm sort of picking and choosing some nice images from here and there. And oh. But they're also, because the all of the images in the series are meant to be from Darth Vader's perspective, all of the figures, you know, Luke and Han, are they're kind of shrouded. Like you don't see their faces. You just kind of see them as silhouettes or, or cut out figures because all the images are essentially supposed to be Vader's visions and nightmares as he's kind of reaching, traveling toward his his uh, ultimate battle with Luke on the second Death Star. And it's all sort of his premonitions of, you know, what's going to happen. And it's, it's all those typical wake up with a start, you know, oh, after having a nightmare <laughs> where he sees Han Solo sort of in the shadows and... I can just picture Darth Vader coming out of his little yeah, he's a little, little teddy bear chamber. Oh yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't have had that hoagie. <laughs> Are these all oil paintings? They will be. Yes, like I say, right now I'm only I'm in the planning stages, so I've done some oil studies and drawings that will outline what the final works will look like. Um, but uh, Indiegogo.com/sandstorm will allow y'alls out in the public to surf on down and contribute a few pennies. But you'll also get uh, there's plenty of incentives. There's some mixed media prints and some drawings. Oh, cool! And some of the smaller oil studies you will get as a gift for your donation. I've already already two or three of them have already found homes. Cool. So yeah, I'm very excited. I think it's going to be. Now, if I was, say, a Lucas Black or a Gavin Pitts and I didn't live in <laughs> anywhere near Abbotsford, mm. could I still view the show online at some point? 
Oh, certainly. All this stuff will be uh, certainly on my website, and I know uh, the venue for the show, Reach Gallery Museum in Abbotsford, has a website, and you'll be able to see all this. And I'm updating my Indiegogo campaign for the next, I've still got 35 days left, so I've got... What's the date of the deadline? The date of the deadline, I believe, is Saturday, November twenty fourth, two thousand twelve. So, if somebody's listening to this as a uh, you know two yeah. years in the future, you cannot time travel back and contribute. But That's can, right. But you can still look at the paintings. Of course, by this time, George Lucas will have handed over the entire Star Wars Empire to you because of his love for of your work course. on this project. Yeah, he and I'll be best buds. We'll be out windsurfing and racing cars, man. I don't know, man. With the decisions he's made lately, I'm, I'm giving that a 50-50 chance. <laughs> They'll be CG horses, though. Yeah, hey, you know. hey, if I have to sit like on a hobby horse with a, a you know, in front of a green screen and talk to a tennis ball on a stick, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> no, you'll I'll do, do anything. It. You have to do it Holy Grail style and have somebody behind you with a couple of coconuts. Sure. The only question is, will you be able to stop from making the <laughs> sounds when you pull out your fake <laughs> lightsaber? Stop Un- making the sounds. Unlikely. We're going to add that in. You got that's digital. You can just keep shooting. It took us five hundred eighty thousand dollars just to digitize his mouth, so it wasn't making that (laughs) shape to do the sound. I have a follow up for food. It's one of my favorite topics. Not necessarily caustic. Hopefully, it's not an upchuck for food. (laughs) Basins and buckets of boys' urine are collected from primary school toilets Mm. in the Chinese city of Dongyang. Wow, Uh Yang! It is the key ingredient in virgin boy eggs. No. A local what? tradition of soaking and cooking eggs in the urine of young boys, preferably below the age of 10. Uh, oh, China. So hold on a sec. So <laughs> I just got if, started, Kevin. If they, it's not the three I, gorges. I just, I just want to make sure we're talking about what I think we're talking about. So they collect the urine. Yes. No, no flushes. If it's yellow, let it mellow. <laughs> right? Oh, let it mellow indeed, my uh, friend. They <laughs> scoop it out of there, bail it like That's... you're in a leaky rowboat, right? And then put it in a pot, and then get it to boiling, and then throw some eggs in there. Yes. Okay. All right. Just wanted to clarify. Uh, I can tell you a little bit more about the process. Uh There's no good explanation for why it has to be boys' urine, just that it has been so for centuries. Locals claim the eggs have miraculous health properties. Surprise, surprise. All right. Finally. Uh, We should get like a dye that has a bunch of voices on it, and then I can... (laughs) Choose a pick, pick a pick a uh, James Mason. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna, you know, like Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, it's either James Mason or Christopher Walken, one or the other. I'm right? gonna go the opposite of the uh, or racist, like Christopher Lee, yeah, as Fu Manchu, uh-huh. <laughs> or oh, yeah, Mickey Rooney as the uh, upstairs Asian neighbor in Breakfast yeah, at Tiffany's. I'm James Mason. <laughs> If you eat this, you will get, not get heat stroke. These <laughs> eggs cooked in urine are fragrant. Well, said, they have a fragrance, yeah. I would imagine. Uh, said uh, J. Yaohua, uh-huh. 51, who owns one of the more popular virgin boy egg stalls. Yes, there's more than one. Mm-hmm. They're good for your health. Our family has them for every meal. In Dongyang, every family likes eating them. Residents believe in the tradition passed on by their ancestors. The eggs decrease body heat. Nope. <laughs> promote better blood circulation. All right. And just generally reinvigorate the body. No. Sure. It takes nearly an entire day to make these unique eggs. What? A day? Starting what? off by... <laughs> they're not fast food. They don't have well, days in China. First, got to give the kid water. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. 
Starting off by soaking and then boiling raw eggs in a pot of urine. After that, the shells of the hard-boiled eggs are cracked, and they continue to simmer in urine for hours. Oh, the eggs are cracked? Yeah. So oh, the, so, so they you... literally cook the egg. It's not It's not like hard-boiled. Like, it's just the outside is urinated. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. I guess they're I, poached. I'm not sure. They're poached I... in urine. Well, they boil them until they're hard, and yeah, then they crack then the eggs, crack, so, so even more of it in. gets inside. Exactly. And oh, they soak so they in. boil the hard-boiled egg in urine. Yeah, yeah, they boil it in urine, and then they crack it, and so then that they it keep gets boiling inside, it. So that it really saturates the yolk and everything. I guess. Oh, like the yeah. thousand year old Because of egg. course, hundreds of years ago, when hundreds of years ago, when they first made this, people tried it and said, you know, it's good, but it needs more, more urine. urine. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? You know what? This is one of those. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I imagined, I thought to myself, I don't want to become a garbage man because I don't want to come <laughs> home smelling like garbage. <laughs> Imagine that you're well, the urine for guy. Yourself. Can I tantalize you with becoming a vendor of virgin boy eggs? <laughs> I think I may pass. Oh, China. Is there anything they won't do? They won't put in their mouths. I guess, I, China, I guess, is really it's just a lesson in large numbers. I mean, you've got a billion-plus population. Right. You just It's just going to happen. Just name it, and yeah. somewhere in China, it's happening. If one in a million people is doing something completely bizarre, that's still a million people. Yeah, exactly. On the plus side, it's not like they're butchering the young boys for their fins <laughs> and then leaving the rest of them around. <laughs> this is a renewable resource. Mm-hmm. As long as the kids are not being you know, watched by creepy men <laughs> while they're doing this and everything's above board, ah, sure. who's being hurt it except feels... for the person who chooses to eat pea eggs? <laughs> Boys get to pee in buckets at, uh, I think, at their school. And that might be a step up. They just collect them at the end of school. Mm. Mm, stagnant virgin they boy. Probably, you know what? They probably in. get... You know, in China, that's just another another Tuesday. It's one of the many. Yeah, that's, this is, that, yeah, that doesn't even come up on their radar, frankly. What, what do you think? You think they pay the boys in eggs? I think they get their fair share of whippings, and then they're, <laughs> they go about their day. Also in the food follow-up news, pink slime. Yes. yes. That ammonia-treated meat in a bright Pepto-Bismol shade Yummy. may have been rejected by fast food joints like McDonald's, Taco Bell, and Burger King, but is being brought in by the tons for America's school lunch program. Ah. We'll post a picture of this Freedom. pink slime on com. Yeah, it's basically just all the bits and pieces of the cow that uh, you can't put in meat and call it meat still. Well, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is purchasing 7 million pounds of the slime for school lunches. <laughs> Officially termed lean beef trimmings, Um, the product is a ground-up combination of beef scraps, cow connective tissues, and other beef trimmings that are treated with ammonium hydroxide to kill pathogens like salmonella and E. coli. Right. It's then blended into traditional meat products like ground beef and hamburger patties. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, it it fluffs it. It's like a fluffer. It's like uh, yeah, a filler. <laughs> a filler. That's a a, filler. that's the word I was looking for. It's not fluffer. Well, that's something, something different. different. It's a, it's a hot dog in in its purest raw form. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just doesn't come in a tube. It just comes in a cube, and you just add it to things that are mm. that need adding to. We called it Soylent Pink, said microbiologist <laughs> Carl Custer, who worked at the Food Safety Inspection Service for 35 years. Nice. Anything that makes uh, spam seem more appetizing <laughs> is probably not a good thing. We looked at the product and we objected to it because it used connective tissues instead of muscle. It was simply mm. not nutritionally equivalent to ground beef. My mm. main objection was that it was not meat. Hmm. Custer and microbiologist Gerald Zernstein concluded in a study that the trimmings are a high-risk product. 
Hmm. But scientists in D.C. were pressured to approve the stuff with minimal safety approval under George H.W. Bush's administration. No child's intestinal tract left untouched. <laughs> the USDA asserts that its ground beef purchases meet the highest standard for food safety. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Controversy surrounding food content, slime. on the other hand. Controversy surrounding pink slime stems from various safety concerns, particularly dangers associated with ammonium hydroxide, which can both be harmful to eat and has potential to turn into ammonium nitrate, a common component in homemade bombs. <laughs> it is also used in household cleaners and fertilizers. <laughs> I totally... It gives I, explosive diarrhea a whole the, new <laughs> ring. <laughs> In 2009, the New York Times reported that despite the added ammonia, tests of lean beef trimmings uh, in schools across the country revealed dozens of instances of E. coli and salmonella pathogens. So you get the ammonia and you get the E. coli. It's a win-win. Let them fight it out. Uh, It's probably more like a lose-lose. Between 2005 and 2009, E. coli was found three times and salmonella 48 times, including two contaminated batches of 27,000 pounds of meat. (laughs) Hot dog. No, seriously. (laughs) Hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) News of the USDA's plan to bring 7 million pounds of pink slime to school cafeterias nationwide comes just weeks after the government announced new guidelines to ensure students are given healthier options for school meals. Dump, dump, dump. I think delivering it via dump truck to the parking lot of the school and just like <laughs> pouring it raw into the parking lot probably has a lot to do with it. I think maybe. they're it's all yeah, about presentation. Safety it, protocols maybe need a little review as well. It looks like some sort of like bubblegum flavored ice cream. You're like, ooh, soft serve. It looks like come out of the Play-Doh Fun Factory. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it, uh, and it's not until you realize what exactly it's supposed to be that <laughs> it, it becomes disturbing. It's not strawberry uh, shake. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but th- that's the that's the entire problem with this whole complaint about it. The problem is that it looks gross. Agreed. Like it doesn't look like food. But then you start finding out about it and a lot of the processing that it goes through happens to all sorts of other food. Yeah. And exactly. it's just fine. And it okay, is edible. It's okay, just not, it's not a very good food. It's not food. meat, but if you eat ribs, Mm-hmm. You start chewing off connective tissue. You yeah. still eat all this other stuff that's in this. It's just yeah. stuff right. that is hard to get off the bone. And then so they you wash it down off. a glass but, of ammonium nitrate. But when mm. you when you eat ribs, it's like one percent of it is connective tissue. When you mm-hmm. eat pink slime, it's I don't know what the exact percentage might be, but it would be elevated. Nobody eats like, just yeah, pink you're slime. Not eating this a is pink added slime to pop out of this the is freezer. added to not ground yet. beef. This is added to other things. Yeah, it's a filler. So it's yeah, it's a filler. With today's budget cuts, people, <laughs> it's the icky factor versus the practical. You want you know, an icky real... factor? Meat is made of dead animals. Yeah, exactly. That's gross. Go look at a dead animal. What? Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? I'll still eat it. And it's weird because my nickname in high school was pink slime. <laughs> So it kind of brings back a lot of memories for, you know, bad memories for me. Not in the food department. I thought you were Soylent White. (laughs) (laughs) All that meat and no potatoes just ain't right like green tomatoes. Yeah, I'm waiting, palpitating with all that meat and no potatoes. All that meat and no potatoes. All that food to the alligators, yeah. Hold me steady, I am ready. With all that meat and no potatoes. I don't think that peas are bad. With me, most anything goes. I look in the pot, I'm fit to fight. Cause woman, you 
knows that mess ain't right. All that meat and no potatoes just ain't right like green tomatoes. Yes, I'm steaming. I'm really screaming. All that meat and no potatoes. into slavery. He was taken by holy warriors. He was told to leave attachment behind. He was expected to obey. He did not listen. Canadian artist Chris Woods presents his new series of epic paintings titled Sandstorm. Inspired by the events of the original Star Wars trilogy, Sandstorm steps into the black metal boots of cinema's most notorious villain and reveals how he felt. Mr. Woods needs your support in executing this amazing new series coming to the Reach Gallery Museum in Abbotsford, B.C. for the summer of 2013. Please visit Indiegogo.com slash Sandstorm for details. Even the Dark Lord himself might say this about the series. Impressive. Most impressive. Indiegogo.com slash Sandstorm. So a follow-up to Small Arms. Correct. And Space Warfare? Yeah, it's a double oh, whammy. Oh, nice. Well, it's not really warfare in space. It's the potential for warfare in space. Okay. But it's most for warfare. In it's space. actually more warfare in the very dense Ural Mountains with various bears and tigers. Okay, alive. okay. I'm, right. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. So here we have unusual firearms, Russian space pistol. Space pistol. This three-barreled weapon was in service with the Russians since 1986 to 2006 and has been carried by the cosmonauts on several space missions. The two top barrels are side-by-side smooth bore barrels that can fire shotgun shells and signaling flares. Mm. The and bottom. the third barrel is for lasers, right? <laughs> That's like if right. you're going into space with a pistol, no, it's, it's a meteor. Sh- it's a meteor shooter you see an oncoming <laughs> tiny particle that's gonna yeah, rip yeah. through your coming suit, at you, so you shoot it 15, you shoot it yeah. and it it flies out a certain distance and then explodes and if the meteor happens to hit that explosion then you save the cities down below and they were influenced yes, yeah, very totally. heavily by the early video game asteroids Is, <laughs> actually i was <laughs> i was actually referencing an missile even command, older yeah. video game of missile, missile command yeah. Oh, yeah it actually shoots vodka Oh, of course, of course. It's just a squirt gun filled with vodka. That's where the Congratulations, Russia. That's where the term vodka shooter came from. Oh, snap. What was the uh, Russian uh, space agency called? Somebody knows this. Oh, shit. Where do we leave rocket? (laughs) 
Did you have rocket, Ivan? No, oh, you had the rocket. Roscosmos, the Russian Federal Space Agency. Okay. Oh, yeah, the uh, cosmonaut delivery service. <laughs> the name of this pistol is the uh, TP-82. That is correct. Ooh, it sounds like a Star Wars robot. Yeah. It really does. Well, TP-82, come in. It has two... See if you can lock down the X-Foils. <laughs> TP-42, we're out of black bread up here. Help us. We need beluga caviar. That's right. Toilet paper is very rough on our bottoms. This rifle also has a bottom barrel that is rifled and fires more conventional 5.45 uh, ammunition, as the same as you would find in your AK-74 assault rifle. So what do cosmonauts need a three-barrel pistol for? Well, it was not necessarily for use in space, although I'm sure if you had a heated disagreement over whether, <laughs> you know, Stolichnaya or uh, a more westernized uh, vodka is uh, to your taste or or somebody you know as a prank you know pierce somebody else's <laughs> pee bag or something right yeah. or if you want to just play russian roulette if it's that boring yeah three it was three barrels <laughs> it was actually uh, included as a survival piece of survival equipment for the cosmonauts because unlike the united states uh mercury and apollo programs the russian capsules would land all over russian territory so they would right. land they had designated spots in certain desert areas. But they were bad aimers. They would land yes. in, on soil as opposed to the ocean like the Correct. Americans often did. Yeah, and land usually involves uh, aminals of various types. Bears and wolves and uh, oh my, Russian yeah. cyborgs. So I guess they had an example of one of their re-entries. They had a failure in their guidance system, and so they had to fly it, their little capsule, manually. But because they weren't sitting in their stations as they were supposed to be for reentry, like they had to stand because at the rebels. controls. To actually look out the window and see <laughs> yeah. where they were going? Yeah, oh, okay. so I guess their center of gravity was okay. off, so oh. it threw off their calculations. So ultimately, they landed about 230 kilometers say, so away. So they used the gun as an extra jet. <laughs> oh, yeah, Going too go. far to the left. That's right. Fire to the left, and that will push us right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are nautical terms, left and right. <laughs> that is that is a totally efficient way of steering a plummeting craft. Open the hatch. Like, oh, yes. Hundreds of miles right. an hour. Hey, you make a very slight change in the angle of descent far enough away. It'll make a several hundred kilometer well, difference. they did land by them standing near the front of the capsule instead of the back. They landed 230 kilometers <laughs> yeah. away. So yes. that, we, that is evidenced in the story in and of itself. I'm giving exactly. Torin kudos for understanding how this all works, actually. Actually, I, I'm not going to nitpick him one bit. And yeah. then after you fire a second later, you hear, <laughs> Damn it, there goes dinner. That's right. Land quickly. We can get it. <laughs> Precious ammunition. I guess this mission, they'd had a few problems because the they had done a spacewalk and the the cosmonaut's suit had been overpressurized. And so he was unable. Yeah, he was unable to get back into the capsule uh, he speedily, so he's oh, he sort of got stuck. Like he couldn't move his limbs and shit. Because he was like Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. So that I like, don't know of. But he's he... a little too puffy to get back in through the hatch. <laughs> Cannot fit through hatch. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. Much pressure. He was so pressurized that he was just like a big inflatable like a snowman. Big yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a Michelin man in space. It's, it's too filled up. I can't bend my arms. He's like Gunther, the little German exchange student from The Simpsons. <laughs> don't make me run. I'm full of chocolate. That's right. <laughs> well, it was chocolate powered, this capsule. Uh-huh. In any case, so after a pretty close call with that, I guess, he was, and he was out in the direct sunlight, so he was getting pretty overheated. After they, their descent went awry, 
they landed in a very dense forest and I guess were almost immediately surrounded by a pack of wolves that okay. decided that the that their spam can had finally their their miracle <laughs> their prayers had finally come true. And uh they people had, have fallen from the sky. Exactly. This is Whoa. This is actually this is a triple whammy because this is now wolves follow up as well. Yeah. It, so did they invent the space pistol because of this incident or they had it? They already had carried them from the they beginning. Had for, they had foresight. As they, we learned in our wolves episode, a lot of the wolf attack episodes happened in like in Siberia and in Russia, if mm-hmm, I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, couldn't they just stay inside the capsule? But then that, sometimes they did, but I believe you know it was twelve or so hours. What if you land of... and it catches fire? Like you can't guarantee yeah. that they can. So yeah. give them a gun to at least scare the wolves off or shoot yeah. some of them or something. Yeah, it flare makes sense one to in me. the mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and fire a flare into the into the air so that they know where you are. But I guess they phased this out, and they they now just have a small pistol that they carry. They apparently before that would have they would just full on just take an AK forty seven in the capsule, just put throw it in there under a blanket or something, sure. you know. And I don't think they had a gun rack or anything of the sort, but so the AK forty seven floating by them in space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Ruskies enjoyed their right to bear arms, uh, whether on Earth or in orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y- your move, America. <laughs> They got you beat. You're going to stand for that? Hey, they did have a spy satellite with a cannon on it, from what I understand. A manned Maybe we can get the station. NRA to start funding NASA. I was going to say, the, what, the Russians have a three-barreled gun? We're going to get a four-barreled gun. <laughs> yeah. The NRA is going to have to start funding NASA on the sole condition that they start bringing up firearms yeah. into space. Well, they're only allowed to have those black powder ones, though, and then, <laughs> like, when you... Your coonskin cap just doesn't work in space. It just it looks really cool though because like it, yeah. all the fur just sticks straight up and it gets extra fuzzy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a follow up for radiation, <gasps> nuclear diving. This comes okay. from popside dot com. Nuclear diving, so this is like muff diving. A diver who works in radiated water at nuclear power plants. Fun. Oh, I'm guessing they don't wear the traditional speedo. <laughs> a, some kind of a heat sink yeah, Michael Phelps. yeah try that the, Michael uh... Phelps we'll see how many gold medals you win although they do three different kinds of dives non-radioactive mud work quote unquote in the lakes and rivers that supply water to the plant Oh, like because they're clearing up jams and yeah, whatnot yeah. so that the water, the, the plant doesn't dry out. Okay, that sounds like important work. And inside the plant, they do non both non-radioactive and radioactive dives. I wonder if uh, if it's one of those things where they're all like macho about it and like, no, man, I want to do the radioactive dive. Screw you. I'm Top Gun around here. Well, It I'll, turns into a whole like uh, Iceman Maverick thing. They'd actually be Bottom Gun if they were <laughs> diving. But. There you go. Lake diving at DC Cook Nuclear Plant. Takes place in and around the complex system of pipes, pumps, and screens that draws more than 1.5 million gallons of water into and out of the plant's condensers every minute. Wow. Okay. The pipes extend a quarter of a mile into Lake Michigan and require constant maintenance. Mm -hmm. Beyond the normal hazards of welding and cutting at the bottom of a muddy lake, described as like looking through coffee. Mm. Okay lie the dangers of the intake structures themselves. Most diving accidents involve intake work. In 2004, at Point Beach Nuclear Plant in Wisconsin, a diver became trapped when one of his lines got sucked into an intake pipe. The plant immediately turned off its circulating water pumps, which in turn shut down the reactor so the diver wouldn't be sucked into the pipe as well. Powering down a reactor too quickly can damage the nuclear core, but in this case, everything worked out. The plant went undamaged, and the diver escaped. 
Other divers have been less fortunate. Oh. In 1986, an untethered diver performing intake inspections at Crystal River Nuclear Plant on Florida's Gulf Coast failed to surface. Oops. Uh, but why was he untethered? You'd think tethering would be an integral part of this process. Oh, I'm especially sure they had when, a good reason. Especially when they're like, it's sucking millions of gallons of water through that. Hey, tethers don't cost nothing, man. <laughs> yeah. you, you need, like, they're all sold by Monster Cable. So they're right. like 20-foot oh, long <laughs> tether, costs $50,000. <000, laughs> That's right. Because it's the zinc-plated... You want to uh, get the really good reception when you're down there, too. <laughs> See, I'm thinking that it, this is this is what makes me think that maybe these guys are a little bit macho about this whole occupation. Oh, like, yeah, don't like, tether me, man. Yeah, I'm, I won't be tethered, dude. This is going to take extra time. <laughs> well, when this uh, diver failed to surface, the dive team sent a tethered rescue driver... Uh-huh. Too little, too late. ...to find him. But a few minutes after entering the water, the second diver's tether went taut... And he became unresponsive. Oh. Okay. So you're damned if you tether and damned if you don't tether. This is like so, the beginning of a Doctor Who episode. It's, it's mm. one of two Something's things. Something's in the water. It's one of two things. Exactly. It's it's either they're idiots, they're getting sucked up into the intake, or sea monster. I was going to say Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. The team quickly pulled him up, and his unconscious body was almost to the surface Ooh. when the tether line Snap. broke. Snap! What? The Damn rest- you, monster cable! The rescue diver <laughs> sank again from view. Oh, man. As with the Point Beach incident, the intake systems were immediately shut down, but it was too late. Both divers were dead. While the rescue diver's body was recovered quickly, it took workers almost two hours to locate the first diver. Mm, His body had been sucked almost all the way into the plant. Good God. How wh- How do you break a tether? Mm. Wouldn't yeah. the guy's body have broken first? Isn't that what should well, have happened? probably what killed him. I guess. Wow. Yeah. Well, this is kind of like, like a little miniature lesser of Tweevils. Would you rather be the guy that gets sucked all the way up the thing, but at least you're not tethered, so it's not like ragdolling you, and you just probably drown? Or would you rather be the guy who's on the tether, and it sucks so hard, it probably snaps like all the bones of your body, and you're kind of like a yeah. little ragdoll when they haul you to the surface. Especially before it snaps if you're semi-conscious you as they pull you to the surface. You're like, yeah. I'm going gonna to be saved. I can see the light. It's them rescuing me. Uh... Whereas the other guy, you just see the light like just getting smaller and smaller and smaller as Why you sucked I up the thing. Why did I choose and... today to bring my pewter figure collection to work with me? <laughs> Inside what nuclear workers call the hot side of a plant. Ooh, that's this is like the McDLT of uh, <laughs> nuclear power plants. There are manhole size openings in the floor. Ooh, Divers oh, climb through them to access the screens and pump bays that trapped <clears> system <throat> clogging debris and marine life including Lake Michigan's zebra mussels. Oh, the deadly mm-hmm. zebra mussels. Yes. Damn Giant them. Giant radioactive zebra mussels. Damn them to hell. Well, the thing about the mussels is obviously that you have telekinetic think... powers when they gang up in a hive. <laughs> you would think that there would be a screen, of course, right, that would stop most of the crap from flowing into yeah. the pen. And, of course, there is, but the mussels start off, you know, very, very tiny, mm-hmm. just floating around mm-hmm. looking for something to latch onto, and then they grow. Yeah. So they'll get through small and then grow big and clog everything up. So that's yeah. why they're the, the big problem. Well, and the zebra mussels, like, spread super fast. It's a crisis, that's for sure. Hmm. In 2003, a young diver descending into the screenhouse's discharge vault. Ooh, discharge vault. <laughs> Good Be- Lord. That sounds like a room that exists at Joe's Been house. There. The discharge vault. <laughs> Became disoriented and, when he touched down, began walking in the wrong direction. 
An emergency intake valve oh, that should have like, been closed. Tur- you got turned around kind yeah. of thing? An emergency intake valve that should have been closed was not, and the diver overcome by the water flow was sucked through it. Lost consciousness, yet was quickly intercepted by other divers who brought him to the surface. Crazy stuff. Divers will tell you that contaminated water work is the safest kind of diving they do versus fixing a giant intake valve in zero visibility. Probably because they take a little extra time and care for the radioactive dives. They seem to be playing a little bit fast and loose with the non-radioactive dives. What divers don't say, at least on the record, is that they think about radiation all the time. How can you not? They keep track of their dose levels the way most people watch their weight. This is like a cop saying he thinks about getting shot. We're not, mm. Are we supposed to be shocked by this? Yeah. <laughs> Nuclear plants employ... A-L-A-R-A, ALARA, technicians. Okay. Mm-hmm. The acronym stands for? Automatic Losing About Radiation Alarming. <laughs> oh, my, uh, always looking at uh, rectal uh, <laughs> axams. I don't know. As low as reasonably possible. Oh, you cheated. I totally <laughs> did. <laughs> To plan and monitor all activity on the hot side. Radioactivity, as it relates to humans, is measured in millirems of exposure. Most nuclear power plants uh, set their maximum allowable dose level at 2,000 mrem per person per year. Although the federal government allows up to 5,000 mrem of exposure per year. All right, okay. By comparison, a standard chest x-ray is about 10 mrem. Okay. And a year of exposure to environmental radiation from the soil and cosmic rays around us all the time is 300 mrem. Fun. But those numbers can be tricky. Occasionally, if a diver approaches the plant's maximum dose level before finishing a dive, he or she can be granted an extension, allowing the level to be raised. Sometimes they bring... <laughs> so they can complete the dive? Yeah. This is a strict limit, <laughs> unless you might go over it. <laughs> then we will increase that limit. Sometimes they bring in another diver so they can split the dose mm. rather than give it to all one person. Oh. And, of course, no one knows for sure how these small but consistent levels of exposure affect the human body over the course of months, years, or decades. This well, we're like... going to have some good data on that soon. <laughs> yeah. mm. This feels like a bit different than, like, splitting a pizza, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, that one yeah. I'm very much willing to do and the you're other gonna, one. Are you going to eat the rest of that deep dive <laughs> where exposure to gamma rays? It looks so good. <laughs> This pizza is hot in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can really taste the U-237. <laughs> What's next? Anything? Um, I, uh, science blunders. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. A woman in England who was wrongly charged with murdering her two children had a died. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the short story is uh, Sally Clark, a British solicitor, became the victim of an infamous miscarriage of ju- justice when she was wrongly convicted of the murder of her two sons in 1999. Okay. Even after the conviction was overturned, she never recovered from the experience and developed a number of serious psychiatric problems, including uh, alcohol dependency. Uh, So how was she wrongfully convicted of the murder of her sons? Well, Clark's first son died suddenly within a few weeks of birth in 1996. Sid's. Yes. After her second son died in a similar manner, she was arrested in 1998 and tried for the murder of both sons. So whether the theory was that she was, like, smothering them or something? Well, here's where science goes bad. Her prosecution was controversial due to statistical evidence presented by pediatrician Professor Sir Roy Meadow, who testified that the chance of two children uh, from an affluent family suffering sudden infant death syndrome was 1 in 73 million 
which was arrived at by squaring one in 8,500 for likelihood of a caught death oh, in similar circumstances. <laughs> yeah, essentially he really he fucked messed up, up his probability. Yeah. So uh-huh. do we know what the actual probability would be? It doesn't really go on to say, but the Royal Statistical Society issued a public statement expressing its concern at the misuse of statistics in the courts and arguing there was no statistical basis for Meadows' claim. When did, when did they make that claim, though? After she was convicted, obviously. Well, during her trial. During her trial. Uh, so, But here's the thing. Even if he's right, right? Mm-hmm. Even if the the SIDS happening twice was completely independent of the SIDS happening before, right? Like the same yeah. whatever yes. causes are that caused it the first time also caused it the second time, which would make it more likely. Even if it is just a completely random thing like winning the lottery or, in this mm-hmm. case, losing the lottery horribly. Mm-hmm. One in 73 million? Yeah. There's 7 billion people on large the planet, no- right? Large numbers. How many women have two children? Let me just say there's probably a thousand women in the world that have had this happen to them. Sure. Or even if I go a hundred. Mm-hmm, let's right? go as low as a hundred, right? So a hundred women have had this happen. Maybe she's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like one in 73 million is not impossible. Yeah. So they convicted her on the basis of this. This supposedly un... This bad statistic. This huge statistic that would that basically the default argument was this is so unlikely to have happened she must have murdered her children. Right. Okay. Uh, great. You so know, how much time did she spend in the... In the who's gal? Well, Clark was convicted in November 1999. The convictions were upheld at appeal in October 2000, but... The over- conviction was upheld on appeal? But overturned on a second appeal in January 2003 after it emerged that the prosecutor's pathologist had failed to disclose microbiological reports that suggested one of her sons had died of natural causes. She was released from prison having served more than three years of her sentence. Right. The journalist Jeffrey Wansley called Clark's experience one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in modern British legal history. As a result of her case, the attorney general ordered a review of hundreds of other cases, and two other women convicted of murdering their children had their convictions overturned. And this, the worst part is... Clark died of acute alcohol poisoning in her home in March right. of 2007. Because in, in addition to spending three years in jail for a crime yeah. you didn't commit, oh, both of your kids have died. Yeah. yeah. And you were briefly held responsible, but yeah. now I'm you're sure, free, so... Uh, I'm sure your husband has You'll be fine. On. But so I do she, like the term miscarriage of justice in this uh, particular... Yeah. Uh, Which seems kind of unfortunate. It is an considering. appropriate turn of phrase. Yeah. So this poor lady drank herself to death, unfortunately. So, mm. so learn your learn your statistics, peoples. How about a lesser of two evils? <laughs> I was thinking our Toys That Kill episode okay. had the bucky balls, the magnetic balls. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. the little tiny magnetic balls that some children would that swallow for fun. Children would swallow mm. for fun. And then it would perforate all their insides. They'd get trapped in your intestines, and they'd attract each other through yep. the intestinal lining. Sure. And then it'd start to eat away at your intestinal lining. And you'd have like 23 of these yeah. in Man, your shevitz. intestines. And you'd have to have like a whole bunch of your intestines removed and lose part of your colon and the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. okay, good stuff. Turns all right. your body into a rock polisher, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or get sucked into an intake oh, under oh. a nuclear power plant. Yeah, on a oh. nuclear dive. During a dive while you're welding something in coffee. Oh. What if your lunch was buckyballs <laughs> before you went on your dive? That would, that would, that's, that's Ooh, if the this... both of two evils, we would call that uh, and If that was the case, you could just like maybe go, to, if you start to get sucked in, just go ask first and might take the buckyballs right out of you. Mm. <laughs> or they could bring you up just by turning on a magnet. Yeah, a giant magnet. <laughs> He's stuck down there. Turn on the electromagnet. That's right. 
Well, you know, due to the inverse square law, the effect is really only good for about, you know, five, ten feet. And that's he's, what, 700 line. meters away? <laughs> inverse square law is my line. <laughs> uh, okay, so buckyballs. I've eaten a bunch of buckyballs, and it's eating away at my intestines. Yep. Or I'm getting sucked into an intake underneath at the bottom of Lake Michigan. Uh, am I tethered or am I untethered? Mm. Huh? I'm going to say you're tethered because clearly it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> no, it doesn't make a difference to the end result, but it makes a difference to how you die. And are right? we saying that you're not getting cured for the buckyballs? Because it sounds like you're dying for the diving. So we're saying this is how you're... you're... Not, you don't necessarily die under either. Okay. Yeah, right. It's a horrible, horrible experience. Were the buckyballs coated in chocolate? <laughs> no, they were <laughs> not. Damn not. you. <laughs> You know, in spite, of the, in spite of the fact that it will probably mangle me and, like, snap all my limbs and uh, make it pretty unpleasant to recover from it if you were to survive, I still think I would rather do that than have the buckyballs erode all of my internal organs. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like I like my colon. And I've broken parts of my you body. You will before. need it in the afterlife, too. I've, I've broken my wrist. I've, like, snapped my So you ankle. think the worst that's going to happen if you don't die, if you survive, you think yeah. the worst that's going to happen underneath the nuclear power plant is you're going to get stuck in a fan or something and all of your and your bones are going to get broken? Is that what you think? That's what I'm thinking. Hmm. Okay. Wait, what, what, are we, what, else, what do you think is going to happen to you if you're on a tether? I mean, because there's a good chance you're you going to die. You could drown. No, Which is not so bad, I guess. Well, it's, I guess I guess there's a higher percentage chance of surviving the buckyballs than I would say probably that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you can get surgery. Oh, now that makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Generally, you're surrounded by air when you've <laughs> swallowed buckyballs. Underwater, and only, air is kind only of at a... slightly radioactive air. That's right. Yeah. Air is at a bit of a premium down, oh, down underwater. That does make it harder. I... But one thing that's leading me towards the nuclear power plant is that if I get stuck and they have to shut down the power plant, mm. that power plant could possibly explode. And, and you, that would be awesome. And your name would be on the Highly news. Highly unlikely. <laughs> There's a chance. That's not going to hey. happen with buckyballs, though. A lot though. of large numbers, Joe. There's certainly no the chance. most people I could take out with the buckyballs would be like the surgeon if I yeah. burp or something. <laughs> best to, at best, you demagnetize his credit cards. That's right. He's like, damn it, my iPhone stopped working. Yeah, exactly. I, why did I take that picture of this guy's lower intestine? Yeah, but that at least now point. I can put it this photo of him on the OR refrigerator door uh-huh. so we can all remember him. <laughs> that is a good That's point. As much as you're going to get <laughs> is the scrub, the, the interns and the scrub Of course, ups. these days that would be orrefrigeratordoor.com where he posts <laughs> the photos. Nobody actually puts photos on it. But then the flip side of that equation would be if I if they if the plant explodes <laughs> and I somehow survive, then I'll die slowly from radiation poisoning True. if I don't drown. You I think if the plant explodes, you are in the plant. <laughs> I don't you're think the, there's any you're surviving. You're at the end of know. the intake. I could you're get like pushed out from the water. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> which would also be awesome. So you live in the Indiana Jones and the King yes, of the Crystal Skull universe. I'm in the refrigerator where when the, the nuclear bomb goes off. Where, where the <laughs> only problem three miles. As long sure. as you're in water, which will somehow protect you from the yeah. fire part of the blast. Yes, my right. version of this theory is a okay. Hollywood film. <laughs> uh, if Hollywood has taught me anything, you can survive a nuclear blast from yeah. quite. Uh, close distance. I don't know. I'm leaning towards the Bucky be- Balls because while you are ill with ingested said Bucky Balls, you can watch TV. Yeah. Uh-huh. You can jerk yourself off. Mm-hmm. It may be uncomfortable, Might but it's be, possible. Uh, it, it just be distracted still, by pain. What? Yeah, but which is easier, jerking off? Bucky Balls, the Or you could have a sexy nurse. A sexy mm. nurse. But you could also, have a, but in the other side of the equation, you could have a sexy rescue diver. <laughs> a sexy octopus. <laughs> <laughs> 
sexy, a sexy zebra muscle. You're, guaran- <laughs> you're guaranteed the rescue diver is wearing nice, tight-fitting clothing. Mm. Yeah, but he's got he's kind of got other shit to do. He's yeah. not just emptying your bedpan and changing the channel for it's you. True. So, and if you enjoy coffee and you have like a steel travel mug, it would stay firmly on your tummy that's as true. you're drinking yeah. out of it. You don't have to worry about falling asleep and spilling your yeah, drink. You could keep no. all of your metal items yeah. on your stomach no more. where they would be secure. Right, your bottle you opener, you know where it. that is at all No times. more fanny Where's my penknife? Oh, yes, it's in my <laughs> belly button. I don't know if there's a lot of sympathy for that kind of injury in your yeah, typical you're, hospital. You're never problem. getting labeled as a hero with the buckyball thing. That's no. true. And the, scars, the scars aren't in a place where it's going to be sexy to show it to. Yeah. Right. This is my problem. I totally want to take the cushy one that I can hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see where I am. I'm not in an uncomfortable environment when I'm dealing with whatever the problem is. However, if I survive either one, the one afterwards that I want to be able to talk about publicly is the nuclear diving because that's a great story and mm-hmm. people will be like, whoa, you put yourself in that dangerous situation. Whereas the buckyball one, what happened? I ate some yeah. magnetic buckyballs. <laughs> it's kind of stupid. Yeah, that was dumb. Why'd you do yeah. that? Well, um, yeah, it wasn't even on a bet. It was just, you know, bad. it was a lesser two evils. It I had like a good idea at the time. <laughs> so uh, they were just, I thought they were those, those little silver balls you put on a cake. Yeah, yeah, they were super large size. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm definitely fought coming down on the side of the nuclear power plant. Me intake. too. The reason is, even though there's a much higher chance of survival with the buckyballs, I don't think I'd really want to survive without my lower intestines because then you're pooping in a bag. Colostomy mm. time. I'm I'm buckyballs all the way, bro. Yeah, oh, if there's a, if there's a chance at all. Like I'm in the same room with a woman. Put me down for it. There's yeah. no, there's not a lot going on down there in that in that uh, intake. intake pipe. The yeah. yeah, the chance of meeting uh, sexy singles is at zero. I don't know that you can go to buckyballsurvivorsdating.com. <laughs> I know it's just nothing but upside. Seriously, and then you've got that you know physics cred because that's yeah. so cool. But the only person who's actually going to date somebody who had their intestines removed because they ate buckyballs is like Honey Boo Boo Child or something. But the best that well, I have my intestines removed, automatic gastric bypass. I'm going to be slimming down. Looking Great, yeah. The Buckyballs versus my, that. you know, oh, the Buckyballs diet, of course. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, where did you get those amazing eight pack abs? Well, let me tell it's you, thirty two pack abs no. actually, and they're all very small. <laughs> I just push them around before I go out. Okay, they look all right. Oh, that one keeps slipping. Uh, yeah, I'm with Chris. Uh, <laughs> I have no confidence in my diving ability. I'm a decent swimmer, but di- swimming through coffee. And uh, well, coffee be, appearing, the substance. coffee appearing substance. Swimming for coffee would be a plus because yeah. at least then I could stay caffeinated. But uh, <laughs> you would, I would not be able to see. I would only hope that people could rescue me. I would be filled with despair the entire time. Whether and I, no, I'll take the perforated colon and the, the the hope that doctors can patch me up and I can lead a normal life after, even though I will be embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, "I hope I don't go crazy today." It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. 
Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while undergoing buckyball therapy. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Or email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring you to Grover's Mill, New Jersey. What's going on there? The War of the Wilds. I had no idea that Grover lived in Jersey. Hmm, a giant meteorite just crashed in town. I'm going to go over and check it out. I'm sure they're friendly. It is your old fuzzy pal, <laughs> Grover. Ooh, the top seems to be screwing off. This will go just fine. Did you gentlemen see on boingboing.net, they photographed a crater on the surface of Mercury that supposedly looks like Cookie Monster. Oh, yeah, I did see Because it's just an oblong It's a It's a round shape with two circles on the top. It's an ovoid, <laughs> yeah, with two circles on the top that looks like... I'm going to start a cult. If you're half drunk <laughs> oh, yeah. and asleep, then it looks like it could be Cookie Monster. It's so... Cookie Monster Pareidolia. Right. Get with it. That doesn't impress me. That don't impress me. Show Let me, me know like, when it's Big Bird. Yeah. Well, there is there is a Snuffleupagus on Mercury, but we can't see him. <laughs> That's where he comes from. Bird, I'm burning to death. It's 500 <laughs> degrees. <laughs>